Okay, episode 39. We are rolling. I got Mason Sexton with Susie's Grain Free, Mike Nimi, Global Trans. This is going to be a good one. I feel it. Thursdays, I don't know, like when I get rolling here, it's kind of like I, I, by, by Wednesday, I'm kind of vibing, right? Um, just good vibe momentum is happening. So uh, Thursdays are, are always a good show. Mason, we're talking Susie's. Give us the, the day time uh, when it was started, who it was started with, what is the origin story? Yeah, daytime. I mean, the first kernel of the idea goes back about five years now. Uh, it was myself and my partner, Susan. Uh, I was the gluten intolerant person who was fed up with the options in the supermarket and had started eating paleo. And uh, Susan was the master baker and uh, came up with a great formula that was grain-free, clean label. And uh, I took one bite of that and I knew we had something. And uh, we formally launched the business in September of 2017. So coming up on our third year in market. So there is a Susie. There is, yeah. Susie's her nickname. Kind of unique spelling with the S-O-O-Z-Y, but um, yeah, there is a Susie, and uh, she, she was the original uh, baker extraordinaire in the business. How do you know her? Well, originally, um, we were a couple, and then we were no longer a couple, but kept running the business. So, so, um, so basically, you were a couple, started a business, then didn't become a couple because you started the business. Uh, I, would never, I would never put it that way, but I will say certainly starting a business, as, a, as I know you know, uh, comes with a lot of different trials and tribulations. So, uh, yeah, you know, we, we have a fantastic partnership now, a great friendship, and uh, really both enjoying seeing the business grow together. That's, uh, I like that, actually. Um, and that shows that you both have good character because it's, it is already hard to do, right, starting a business doing it with somebody that you might be in a relationship with or not, and then continuing to, if you aren't, it shows good character. So, so I'll leave you with that one. Um, as far as 17, so you guys, she's baking, uh, is she doing that in a kitchen? And then how quickly did you start moving that maybe into a commercial kitchen? Yeah, great question. So at the time she was actually working on wall street and, uh, she would bake to de-stress. And um, that predated, 2017 was the official launch, but we were working on this two, three years before then, just in the kitchen, doing a lot of different runs, started talking to people in the industry about what would it take to take this recipe from the kitchen and make it into a big batch formula that was something to be commercial, you know, commercially viable in a manufacturing facility. And so as most food CPG entrepreneurs know, that is a really big step. Um, we were very fortunate from the standpoint of we bypassed that you know, commissary kitchen, communal kitchen sort of piece and went right to one of the highest volume manufacturers for what we were doing in all of North America. And ordinarily a company like that wouldn't want to have anything to do with the startup, but um, I, I harassed them friend, in a friendly way over the course of about two months and uh, ultimately opened their door and then we were off, yeah. Let's step. talk co-packing for a second since you just touched on that. For yeah. those that are getting into this, because that's what this is about, about value add, right? Those yeah. who are watching and maybe are in CBG or want to get in, uh, the co-packing piece is such an important piece, yeah. um, especially if you do get into the volumes. Massive, yeah. Just through the steps of approaching the co-packer, what do you think were the, the things that you provided them that, that allowed them to, to say, yes, let's, let's let them in the doors? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And this is obviously one of the early pain points for a, a food entrepreneur. So, you know, if you think about any type of manufacturing facility, uh, the, the notion of working with a startup is usually one of their worst nightmares, right? Because these facilities, at least the high volume ones, and those are generally the ones you want to work with if you can, um, they want to have big runs, big production, you know, allotments. And um, with a startup, any, any company, whether it's a startup or a big company, there's always a lot of setup costs. There's always a lot of time. And so the tough part with working with a typical size co-packer is they know they're going to invest a lot of time and what's ultimately money with you and how big are the orders going to be day one. You know, every food entrepreneur believes that, oh, trust us over time, this thing's going to scale, it's going to be massive, et cetera, but they got to take that ride with you. So it's really hard. You know, I mean, I, I don't think there's any magic bullet there. I wish there were. Um, like everything, you know, in this business and most business in general, it's relationship based. And at some point, it's somebody taking a chance on you and your vision. And I think we were lucky. We had a, a very strong early advisor that, that had some cred in the industry. And I think that showed that, okay, if this person is willing to back, you know, these two younger food entrepreneurs, there's probably something here, or at least this is legitimate. And, you know, with what we were doing, kind of going this clean label, grain-free paleo baked goods route early on, it was quite innovative. And so I think it was a combination of the relationship and just, you know, showing that, that we do have credibility with what we're trying to do. And then also the innovative aspects of the product, which is to say that this co-packer already had a lot of white label product in market. And so they understood that, some of the trends were going in our direction. So they did have that same vision. So it was a number of those things that line up. I know I left out the most important part, capacity. <laughs> so you can approach the co-backer the best lady in the world. If they don't have capacity, that's going to be tricky. And in our case, it's even trickier because we're not just a typical run-of-the-mill conventional product. We're, we're certified gluten-free, grain-free, no dairy, soy, or peanuts. So now you've got to find a facility that's willing to adhere to all those specifications. And that starts to get become a very small country, you know, when, when you start looking for those. So yeah, huge, huge, you know, piece for us that we were very fortunate to solve pretty early in the business with a fantastic co-packer. I often say one of the, the things that you should have, if you, if you didn't have already, that's a big, big value add is a sales approach or a sale, you're cut with, with something as a salesperson when you're starting a company. Yeah. Because you are going to get into a time and a place in the business that you are going to need something. And sure. it's all the time. You're always selling. I say right. it over and over again. I say this, you're always selling. And one of the big sales pitches is when it's time to talk to a co-packer. Yeah. And you have to tell them in the best possible way that you are the next darling. Yep. You are the next superstar yeah. because the volumes that you are going to start with are small. Yeah. They're oftentimes not even a profitable piece to the business, even though I have my own thinking about that um, as far as whether they come up with pricing or maybe there's yeah. a minimum runs and all that. But yeah. you, you need to be able to, to walk them through why you are going to be the next big run for them, the, be, the next big piece of business for them. Yeah. Because- there's no doubt that oftentimes they do have capacity. That's one thing. Yeah. And two is they want the capacity to be from a player, one that's going to come to them consistently with a decent size run yep. and, and be able to make up a piece of the business that they can count on. So that's yeah. just, listen to what he had just said. That's a great, great commentary for this. 
Um, I, I want to move now into just, let's say, 2019. What is the product line? What are the four or five products that you're making? What are the top sellers of them? And what is the distribution strategy? Yeah, well, so 2019, um, we, as, we, as I mentioned, we launched with muffins originally. And then um, basically right at the start of 2019, we added in donuts under very the same philosophy, different recipe. Sometimes people think the donut's just a different shape of the muffin, but actually different texture, different reformulation. Um, and so at that time, we were operating in market with seven SKUs. Uh, we had a blueberry muffin, a double chocolate, a banana chocolate chip, and a green tea matcha. And we had three donut flavors, maple glaze, double chocolate, and cinnamon, um, cinnamon sugar. So that was the mix. And then just this past summer, we went national with Whole Foods on a, a line of bread, bagels, and also shelf-stable cookies. So the mix has changed quite a bit. And, and now, you know, we're in market with about 13, you know, 13, 14 total SKUs, um, which, is, which is really exciting. In terms of the strategy, we've always been very retail focused. Um, you know, we've dabbled a little bit in DTC. Uh, obviously, with what's going on in the pandemic, more people are moving, you know, this kind of customer behavior of shopping to online. Um, we've been cold chain up until our uh, cookie product that launched just about three weeks ago, which is shelf stable ambient. The rest of the business has been cold chain frozen. So that is pretty uh, challenging from a DTC standpoint. Unit economics just, you know, need, need some massaging. So um, we've been dabbling in it. We're getting better. We're getting more proficient. And I think as our products mix grows, we'll be able to offer the consumer online um, a, a better value prop. But to date, the strategy has been about retail. Obviously, you know, we believe we're building the ultimate natural baked goods brand, um, a, a label that has ingredients that, you know, are sort of beyond reproach. Uh, we believe we deliver on flavor, taste and texture of the conventional counterpart. And so we've tried to go really deep into the natural channel. And obviously our partnership with Whole Foods is, is paying dividends there. But ironically, the business for the first two, two and a half years has been about 75% conventional. So we went to about seven, 800 Kroger stores nationwide. Uh, we're in about 90, you know, all the Wegmans about 90 or so. And uh, HEB down in Texas, which who was our launch partner and, and very grateful to them. And definitely the, the buyer there took an innovative eye towards the frozen section and what was happening with baked goods. So Cool. Very cool. Uh, correct. Congrats on the Whole Foods piece. Uh, shout you. out Whole Foods. Um, right. Let's talk fundraising, if you don't mind. Sure. Give us the the overarching look, how did it start? Was it, you know, $20,000 and you can get into as much specifics as you want to or not, but was it early money from friends and family yourself? Was it a hundred thousand dollars? And as the business evolves from 17 to the, the tail end of 19, are you continuing to raise? And if so, how much? Yeah. So we self-funded um, the first half a million or so. Um, we did bring in one angel that was uh, someone that Susan had worked with, you know, in her finance career. You know, I think, look, this is always a challenging question. And from our standpoint, we felt like we had to get to first base, you know, out of the, out of the gates a little bit before we would even think about raising money. What does first base mean in this industry? I mean, to me, that meant having a, a product on shelf that was selling. Um, I think there's obviously some proof of concept there just from the standpoint of, okay, you've been able to establish a co-pack relationship. You've been able to convince a buyer at a major retailer that this is viable and then sales, right? I mean, sales are the ultimate, you know, determining factor. So we raised, we closed our first round. We've, we've been very fortunate. We have phenomenal investors. We've worked with two um, pretty well-known CPG food funds, um, bigger stands for Boulder investment group, uh, out of Colorado. 
and then Excel Foods here in New York City. And um, we've done really two main seed rounds with them. We did our first round, I'd say about eight months, seven, eight months that we closed on after we had launched. Um, and we did a million, 1.75 million for each of those rounds. And so, you know, we were thinking about doing another raise coming into COVID. Um, and obviously that changed everybody's plans from a number of standpoints and fundraising being one of them. Um, so we were able to do a small internal round to make sure that our balance sheet's strong to get through this period and we can fulfill all the orders we need for these national Whole Foods launches. Um, we continue to talk to a few folks. We're not in, I'd say, an active fundraising mode. Um, but, you know, one of the things that's really important to Susan and myself is just making sure we put together the right group of investors who believe in the product, believe in the mission and the vision of what we're trying to accomplish. So, um, you know, we, we've been fortunate, again, to work with great people and um, very excited to, to continue to have some of these conversations with potentially new entities. So. Yeah, great answer. Uh, as I often say, and I uh, am pretty consistent with this, this is not an inexpensive business. No, it's not. Uh, and you need more money than you think you need. Yeah. Uh, and it's oftentimes three, four, five, ten times more than you think. Uh, and so COVID and doesn't so much, help. There's so much uh, pay to play too, you know. That's what's that? it, it's a lot of pay to play. Um, there are specific retailers. Again, this is a whole separate episode, but we like diving into pieces of it. So again, yeah. people hear it and they understand it and they realize uh, he's, he's just talking with transparency, right? Uh, Mason's giving real, this is real life stuff. Yeah. Um, and it, there's a lot of pay to play, whereas there's slotting. And then when you just get into trade spends alone, it, it's not just because you need to get into a promotional piece of the business, which is, is good. Um, it's how to move, you know, move units. It's how to get trial from customers. But all of that adds up. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you have a team of two or a team of 20 Whereas yeah. you're trying to keep your expenses low, uh, sure. just the activity, the act of moving your product from your warehouse to the shelf to the customer's house is transactional. There's a lot happening. Uh, yeah. So keep that in mind, folks. Keep that in mind. Uh, now, COVID, that little thing we call COVID yeah. uh, has happened. Uh, yeah. And we are now in August. It's going to be September soon. People don't realize it's been like close to six months. Yeah, crazy. Uh, let's stop it, please. And let it all open back up. <laughs> open up. Open up. Let's go. Sorry. Rant. Uh, anyway, um, what are you doing specifically now, August, September, for the business to prepare yourself for not only what's been happening, but what we really see is kind of the lay of the land for the next 12, 18, 24 months. Yeah, I mean, obviously a great question, very top of mind for most food entrepreneurs these days. Um, you know, a lot of the things like everyone else that had been at our disposal, obvious things like demos and things you could do in stores, has basically been taken off the table for the rest of this year, essentially, you know? Some retailers are starting back up in a small way, but there's a pretty big backlog. So that's a, that's a game changer for us. You know, we, we have to think outside the box like everyone else. Um, and I think for, for us, it's been uniquely challenging because, you know, yes, we've, we've worked with some fantastic retailers like Wegmans, Kroger, obviously Whole Foods in the Northeast, but going national with Whole Foods is a different footprint for the business. And so the challenge for us of introducing a brand new brand, you know, to 
people in different parts of the country in basically what's been almost peak COVID has been a unique challenge. Um, and so for us, what we've tried to do, of course, is put more into digital. Um, and digital marketing is a very broad way to put it. There's a lot of things within that, you know, um, obviously for us, our Instagram feed is a big, you know, channel where we can activate a lot of potential customers and really let our community know what we're doing. Um, and a number of different initiatives around that. And we've certainly tried to get into more couponing, but a lot of this involves boots on the ground now. I mean, you have your, you know, services like Ibotta, um, which certainly help, but it's, it's just been a kind of a rethinking and a reshaping of our marketing plan for the end of this year. So all this begs the question then, okay, well, when does the world return back to normal? Nobody really knows, you know, and I, and I think a lot of us, like you said, are, are sort of ready to get back to normalcy, certainly, you know, in store um, for a number of reasons. Our hope is that by sometime in the spring of 2021, um, we're there and we can start going back to some of the things that work really well for us. And again, demos are an obvious one. Demos don't work for all companies the same way. That's an important point. And for us, they've worked incredibly well because we have the impact of when a customer tries the product that they think is healthy, and it is, but they think is healthier than the alternative. Oh, it's grain-free or it's paleo or it's keto-friendly. All of a sudden they have that oh wow moment after they take a bite and they say, this is really good. That's a very crucial step for us. It isn't for every company and with all due respect, not everyone's product you know, tastes great. You know, Some people are going for a more functional you know, benefit. So, you know, we've, we've done what we can given these constraints um, and we have tried to think outside the box and just put a lot more effort into the digital, you know, channel. Good stuff. Uh, I say this uh, when I receive the type of, uh, of answers and, and the way you are, you're, you're articulating them uh, to, to some of the guests. You've got your stuff together. Uh, oh, you're thanks. communicating well. You know your stuff. I get it. And um, it's, it's why you're, you're going to be cruising on this path, uh, you know, to, to success. You know, again, it's a, it's a long road, right? We, we know it's a long road and you've got to be prepared to, uh, to go to war here uh, for a long time. Uh, I threw up this info. Everybody, everybody should check that out uh, after the show. Go to their website. Check it out. Um, Mike. What's Mike. Up? What's up, bro? What's up, bro? Okay. Uh, Living the dream. <laughs> Living the dream. Uh, this one I'm going to set up a little differently. Um, it's Global Trans. I know Mike. Uh, he moves some stuff for us. Um, he's unique in the freight services business because he's on LinkedIn. If you aren't watching him, he's giving what I believe is a lot of value add, whether or not you're working with him or not. I just think he's giving out real information specifically to CPG founders, which I think is great. You're kind of going after a specific niche, which is smart. Um, and you should just read some of them. And again, if you're using them or not, I think that's the best part is he's just saying here, you want, here's some information, by the way, if you're, if you're a freight contact, right, your, your freight partner isn't giving you this, these details, take a look at this. Mike, what do you think, I'm setting this up a little bit differently. I already gave it. He's in, he's in the freight business and it's big, it's wide. What do you think are a couple things that CPG companies are missing or don't know about, about transportation services? I just, I mean, a lot. So, I mean, not every 3PL 
So I, like I said, Global Transit is a 3PL. I think that, you know, some of the challenges I see are they're utilizing, one, a mixture of different 3PLs, right, as well as carriers direct, which is diluting their buying power. I mean, we can argue, you know, you can do this, you can do that. But at the end of the day, we have the volume. We already have all the carriers that you're using plus some. Why not just maximize that under one roof, right? So then you flip into, you know, warehousing, distribution. Most, uh, most emerging brands are having to pay for a warehouse uh, located, right? Well, we can give you warehousing. Again, we're not asset-based, but we have, you know, multiple different partnerships with warehousing across the country. So you can bundle that. And then technology, you might not need it yet, but you're eventually going to need it and it's expensive, right? So what I'll see is, you know, companies will go out and get a transportation management system. They'll be paying a ton of money, but yet they're not really utilizing it to its full potential, right? Because again, you guys have so many different hats to wear, um, whatever it may be. So I think that what they're missing is focus on, you know, one 3PL, work with one 3PL for everything. Whether you need all of it now, or down the line, it's always good to get on it on the front end versus, you know, I walk into companies that are $50 million and it's a lot harder. So no, that's, that's the biggest. Yeah. That's a good answer. Um, a lot of the times too, and I bet you run. Can I say one thing too? Yeah. Uh, I always say is like, I have to stress this because again, and, and I know you said like I put out information on there. And I'm so pro 3PL, whether it's with me or a different company, it's re it really it is beneficial. Like the whole, if you're just looking for a rate, listen, we all, we all fish from the same pond, right? And it, you really are just diluting your buying power. But I think more or less it, it's, it's setting you up for more failure, right? With so many different hands in the pot, it's just really hard to maintain a relationship with, this person, this person, this person, this person. And then on the back end, heck, you're always getting like dinged with all these, you know, chargebacks. How do we fight this claim? I'd rather, I mean, personally me, I'd rather just deal with one person. Sure. And sense. I bet we know who that person is. <laughs> yes. Um, the, the, the takeaway, and I'm going to close it out with this is, and this is coming from now my side. First off, uh, FYI, Mike got a hold of me through LinkedIn. Shout out LinkedIn, direct message. And it was the way he spun it. I actually didn't even really like the, the, the way he prospected me. But <laughs> I mean, you know, um, he'll tell you I give it to him really real. Um, but the reality is on our side, uh, on Mason's side, there's so much going on. And so even if you do have somebody who's managing your transportation in your, on your team, even them, they're super busy, especially once you really get ramped up. There's a lot of, uh, of trucks moving. Uh, once you have some distribution points, uh, if you're in, doing some direct-to-consumer, there's that animal that's happening. And the reality is you will end up or should end up finding somebody on Mike's side who can work for you, right? They're working with you. There's no doubt that it's a partnership, but they're working for you. They're, they're taking the, 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 the piece off your back or most of it and managing it and getting things dialed in the way that you would want it, the way that you would want to see it managed by your head of operations. And so 
the takeaway, find a partner out there that's willing to do what Mike does. Um, and, and again, follow some of the stuff that he's talking about because it, there are some hooks in there that are really, really important. So shout out Mike, good stuff. Um, Mason, Mike, there are infos around here. I appreciate having you both on. Yeah. Be well. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Great chatting. Nice to meet you, Mike.